Hey there, I'm your host, T.G. Brandfault, and you are listening to the Gontrepreneur.com podcast, where we try to bring you actionable information and normalize cannabis through the stories of gontrepreneurs, activists, and industry stakeholders. Today, I'm joined by Afzal Hassan. He's the Executive Vice President of Corporate Development for Canna Royalty, uh, which operates and invests in Canna businesses in Canada and the U.S. Uh, you guys have been making a lot of moves lately, uh, especially in California, uh, and I do want to get into that. Uh, but before we do that, how are you doing this afternoon, Afzal? And, and, and uh, you know, tell me about how you got into the cannabis space. Excellent. Well, thanks for having me on here. It's uh, definitely a a great opportunity for us and uh, very excited to, to share more about the story with you. Um, and it's been a very busy past 24 hours for us. Um, you can take a look at some of the stuff that's been going on our newsfeed and uh, we'll, I'm sure we'll be talking a little bit more about that today. Uh, but to your question, um, cannabis industry, I started uh, probably officially in the professional sense uh, about three years ago. Um, I worked on uh, as a lawyer uh, over at my old firm, Castles Brock. Uh, the listing of a company called uh, Bedrocan, which then went on to be one of the, the core pieces that formed Canopy Growth. Um, since that time, I worked on a handful of other listing type transactions as a securities lawyer for various companies. And Canna Royalty was the last one that I worked on. Uh, I love the platform so much that I, I really wanted to jump on board. And thankfully, the stars aligned and uh, they took me on. So uh, it, was, it was really a pretty special occasion. And... Uh, uh, has rep- represented a great opportunity. Um, this this industry and space is just uh, quite special uh, in a lot of different ways, and so I've been pretty excited to be on board for the past year and change. Well, so, so you have some other broad experience in, in high level positions, including the Ontario Securities Commission, uh, which for our uh, American listeners is uh, is is the the regulatory body for stocks in Canada, one of them. Why did you decide to move away from the more traditional industries and into this space? Uh, It's it's a simple answer, and it's a a huge answer that I think drives it for a lot of different people. I mean, we're sitting at uh, a historic juncture in in history. I mean, it's, it's a time where you have a market that is uh, pretty active and thriving in the black markets that is transitioning into the legal. And I don't know that there really is any parallel for this in human history. Um, you take a look, I mean, the most often uh, used comparison is um, is uh, the legalization after prohibition. But what I often point out to people is that prohibition was only a blip in time for the vast majority of time in human history. Alcohol has been a legally consumed substance in a lot of different jurisdictions. And so... That is quite different from a substance that has quite traditionally been uh, on on the verge or on the fringe of legality for uh, most countries, and uh, especially modern history has been uh, very much so on the on the black uh, black market side of things. So that opportunity, um, as both a lawyer and an entrepreneur, uh, was huge uh, to participate in something that is uh, is actually uh, in an event like this. And to participate in shaping the course and direction of where, where this industry is going is, is a massive opportunity. And what I can tell you is that uh, because of our position and what we do, we've been involved in actually helping shape that direction as well um, with both regulators uh, and, and our relationships with them and our commitment to, to re- trying to be in front of the curve for regulation where that's going. Um, also in, in the business sense as well, I mean, that's a, it's a huge part of where we see ourselves, which is really the cutting edge of uh, the cannabis industry. 
So, so tell me about and tell our listeners about, you know, the evolution of Cano Royalty. Uh, you know, b- before we sort of plugged in, you know, hit the record button on the podcast, you know, you had said that that the company moving sort of away from this investment style to, to an acquisition style. So, so can you just sort of walk me through, you know, your experience with Cano Royalty and, and how it has evolved and then why it's taken that, that route? Absolutely. Um, and I don't know that the core vision for the company has really shifted or evolved much, but the way that we're going about attacking it has certainly changed uh, quite dramatically over time. Um, if you'd gone back three, uh, maybe two years ago when uh, the company was still at some of its early stages, what it looked like uh, a little bit more than what it is right now is um, a diversified investment vehicle. Um, so the company was making investments into a variety of different things. Uh, and generally, they were passive or non-controlling. Um, so we, we were really trying to play the, the growth of the cannabis industry. Um, what we started to realize after doing that for a little while is just that the opportunity that was in front of us and in front of the whole cannabis oper- uh, industry was so huge uh, that playing it through passive investments would probably not do it justice. justice. And moreover, uh, and on top of that, uh, the cannabis industry is at a really early, early stage right now. Um, you certainly will have winners in this industry in the long run. But what I can conclusively say uh, as an investor in this space for uh, now a year and change myself personally and three years for Canada Royalty uh, is that we have limited senses of who is going to be on top of that industry and dominating that industry in the future. Um, oftentimes, and what, what has really been a focus for the industry in, in the history in the past few years has been cultivation. Um, the view that we've espoused from the very outset is that cultivation, for the most part, is really going to turn into an agricultural function. And if you take a look at companies right now, uh, especially if you take a look at Canadian companies that are listed in price, um, their market capitalizations and values assume that they're going to go much further past cultivation and really be stalwarts and dominant forces in this industry. Uh, what we've realized through our investment activities is that trying to call the shots on who's going to be the next Coke or Pepsi or Diageo of the cannabis industry right now is a very, very difficult proposition. Um, you're really shooting in the dark. If you take the typical private equity rule that you're going to get hit one in 10, I would posit that it's a much higher uh, number uh, to figure out how many runs you can hit as a passive investor in the cannabis industry, just because the whole industry is transitioning out from the black to the legal um, in a variety of different places uh, on an ongoing basis. And moreover, regulations and uh, how it's actually accepted, accepted into culture, that's all shifting and evolving too. So to be able to call it uh, in advance uh, is a really difficult exercise. And we realized that uh, what would be more powerful for us and what would ensure that we're actually going to be there and around for um, that, that, that time in five or 10 years when this industry is really uh, roaring ahead, as we expect, uh, is to build the platform that ensures uh, that, that we're a part of that industry. So rather than assuming that we are going to be the Coke or Pepsi or Diageo of the future, which is, I mean, those are models that we use to emulate uh, for, for our own business. We're building a platform that will allow us to keep trying at it so that eventually we do end up with what is hopefully the Coke or Pepsi or uh, in the equivalence in Diageo's portfolio of brands that they hold in the alcohol industry. 
um, in the future. And that is inevitably going to involve some brands that uh, we try or others try that either don't do well or just uh, have a limited market niche appeal. But in that process of trying out a number of different things and having a platform that allows us to try a number of different things, our hope and expectation is that we're really uh, providing for the certainty of uh, both ourselves and our shareholders, investors, that we will be holding some of those brands at the, at the, the end of this race. Well, and I mean, if if we look towards, you know, we can talk, uh, if we look to what your most recent acquisition uh, in California of River, river Distribution and, and paired with uh, your previous acquisition of uh, Alta, we, you know, you, you guys are obviously, you know, in, in California, already targeting distributors. What, what, what do you look for broadly when targeting acquisitions and, and what's most likely to, to make a business stand? out to you? That's it's a great question. And all that I would say is, uh, as a general proposition, is that there is no general proposition uh, for investment uh, strategy. I mean, what you're seeing with the river and uh, the other two acquisitions, which we closed yesterday, uh, which are Alta Supply, which is another distributor, and then Kaya Management, which is a manufacturer, is a strategically driven uh, acquisition platform. Uh, what we're what we have done is try to secure the distribution pipeline in the state of California for a variety of reasons. I mean, if you take a look at our press release uh, that we issued yesterday on river distribution, you'll note that one of the major things for us is that distribu- uh, distributors in California act as major gatekeepers in the market. Um, they are responsible for testing and ensuring the products that get to consumers are clean and safe for them. Um, they're also responsible for collecting a lot of state taxes as well and remitting those to the state. And, uh, and they, they serve as a central uh, point between manufacturers and retailers. And under California law, you are required as a manufacturer uh, to sell your products to a, through a distributor to a retailer and vice versa as a retailer, you're required to, uh, to purchase your products uh, through a distributor, um, even though a manufacturer might have put it together with some limited exemptions for vertically integrated companies. Um, so because of that, I mean, distribution was a huge part for us uh, in building the platform that we are assembling. Um, the platform is really uh, designed to allow us to, to really jump into the, the cannabis consumer products market and have the flexibility to to go at it with a number of different brands and products with the expectation, again, that uh, some of them won't be the winners. And I, I don't know that I have any embarrassment or shying away to say that there's going to be plenty of products that people produce right now, and it might be include some of ours that will not be the home runs in the long term. But what I do know is that we're going to, those are all going to be valuable experiences for us, and they are going to contribute to us finding those brands that are going to have the long term value in the future. So for us, it's important that we have the infrastructure and platform that's needed to be able to try a few times because I, as I'm to go to my early point, we're not trying to hitch our cart to just a single brand horse, uh, which is a strategy that a number of companies have followed and more power to them for, for going down that path. But it's not one that uh, we see as being viable, uh, given our history and our background in the space as well. Uh, so that's that's the higher level plan is is really assembling that platform and so distribution is a key part because what that does is it ensures that we have access to retail shelves. Um, in theory, we could be looking to acquire retailers in the future, but 
uh, one of the key factors of considerations for us is that you buy a retail location, but you're limit you're limited in terms of what you can do with that. Uh, ultimately, you can only drive a certain number of sales out of a particular spot because it's geographically limited, and uh, the state of California is huge. Um, so. Rather than try and buy up retail outlets to give us access to uh, to consumers, uh, we've decided to follow the strategy of actually going at it with distribution. And with our to, uh, well, well, with our acquisition of Alta Supply, combined with our proposed acquisition of River, uh, we expect to be uh, serving a majority of the retail spend. Well, we already are between the two of those companies serving a majority of the licensed retailers in the state of California and. We're really going to be looking to reinforce that position for future. Uh, in terms of what's next, I mean, I I can provide the general strokes, which is really just that we are going to continue to develop the platform that supports our brand portfolio in California. And there's a variety of different functions and uh, uh, horizontal areas in the cannabis industry that uh, we are looking to target. Um, uh, but suffice to say. All of it is uh, really going to be focused on supporting that platform and creating uh, an entity that, uh, that can support the growth of a number of different brands. So I, I want to dig a little deeper into, uh, you know, from an investor standpoint, what Canada Royalty offers. And and I definitely want to talk to you about, uh, you know, the Canadian legalization as something that, you know, w- a lot of Americans we're not either too familiar with or, or we don't we just don't understand it uh, but before we do that we got to take a break this is the Gontrepreneur.com podcast I'm TG Brandfall if you are looking for a job in the rapidly growing and highly competitive cannabis industry Gontrepreneur.com is the place to look visit the Gontrepreneur job board today to browse current openings with cannabis companies throughout the United States from entry-level bud tender positions to executive level career opportunities. You can also create a profile and upload your resume to be discovered by cannabis recruiters. Visit our job board at jobs.gontrepreneur.com to create your profile today. If you are a business owner, you can post your job openings for as little as $25 on our job board to reach the largest and most engaged audience of cannabis professionals on the web. Companies who are listed in the Gontrepreneur Business Directory are eligible for free job listings. If you are already signed up, contact us today via the website or send us an email at grow at to activate your unique coupon. Hey, welcome back to the Gontrepreneur.com podcast. I'm your host, TG Brandfault, here with Afzal Hassan. He's the Executive Vice President of Corporate Development for Canna Royalty, uh, operates, invests, Canna businesses in Canada and the U.S. So, man, give me the elevator pitch. Why should an investor buy Canna Royalty stock over all of the other options that they have on the market, especially in Canada? It's it's a good question and one that we we obviously think about quite often as well. Um, there, there's there's different ways to take a look at it. If I was purely a numbers person and I was trying to crank that side of things, um, I would point you to what California is uh, from a numerical sense versus any other jurisdiction in the world. Um, I, I think without any other doubt, uh, in my mind, it really is the largest legal or regulated jurisdiction in the world for the production of cannabis. I mean, Canada has a lot of interest uh, that has been churning, especially in the capital markets over here. But when you take into account uh, that the market over here is not generating that much money in comparison uh, to a lot of mature US jurisdictions, uh, and that the total population of Canada is less than California, 
and is also going to be fragmented among uh, a number of different regulatory systems with different provincial regulators and everything else, you, you start to realize that the financial picture is quite compelling in that California, again, offers you probably the biggest jurisdiction to operate in and therefore the biggest pie uh, to, to, to chew on. And what I can point out to investors is if it wasn't already clear uh, with some of the moves that we've been making, I mean, California is a market that we see as being very important and one that we're very squarely focused on. So from a numbers perspective, I'd point out that we're California focused and that should be a huge driver for somebody that's looking at the numbers and market size and everybody and everything else. Uh, some of the other things that make California interesting and really tied to our strategy is just what California represents in, uh, in, in the global culture uh, of consumption. Um, you could debate this to some extent, but I think it would be relatively well accepted that California actually is one of the few places in the world that shapes world culture and consumption. Um, the media, the advertising, the technology, uh, cultural memes and trends, the things that get formed in California have and will continue to be exported into the human psyche across the world. And that to us is a very strategic and special advantage as a company that is ultimately focused on creating a house of brands in the long term. Um, and I mean, just to be crass about it, uh, if we were going at this strategy in Canada, I would be quite doubtful as an investor that I'd ever be able to export that brand equity in a meaningful way across the world. Uh, the examples of Canada exporting brands across the world are extremely limited and to assume that that is going to happen in any meaningful way is, is a bet that I wouldn't want to be making as an investor. Conversely, if you take a look at California, um, it is probably one of the most, if not the most discerning marketplaces in the world, given its rich cultural uh, heritage and uh, the, place that it, uh, the position that it plays in, in, in media and everything else. But over and above that in the cannabis industry, it's also got a very rich background in history. And so... What that means is you have some of the most discerning consumers in the world too. So rather than going to a state which has four licenses or nine licenses granted and assuming that we're going to be monopolistically cornering some part of the market because of a regulatory constraint um, and then hoping that that is what's going to drive our business, we've chosen California not because it's easy, but because it's hard. Uh, I hate to use a quote, but I we are hoping and our plan is to be able to generate a brand's portfolio in the, in the state of California that stands up in California because we're quite confident that if we can do that in California, exporting it and transforming it across the world will be a pretty easy second step in comparison to have, having done that in any other jurisdiction across the world. So there's another upside over there in terms of our California focus, which then leads me to uh, one of the other major reasons why the consumer should be taking a look at us uh, as a well, consumer investor, whatever it might be, um, as something that, that is really interesting. Um, at Canon Royalty, we really aren't focused on uh, any particular facet of the cannabis industry in terms of being a cultivator, for example, or purely a distributor or purely a retailer or whatever other horizontals you might have uh, in, in the industry. What we're looking at is ultimately that interaction between brand and consumer that keeps the consumer coming back again and again and again. Uh, and that is in both a very simple concept 
but also a very difficult thing to change and alter and create in consumers' minds. Um, right now, what I point out is that cannabis has typically had a cultural association and a stigma uh, with illegal activity, non-productivity, and all sorts of other negative stereotypes. And I think we're slowly starting to see that open up. But the challenge that remains ahead of us and many other companies that are looking to attack this industry is actually looking to uh, secure a position um, in, in, in the cultural fabric of society that creates rituals and uh, consumption patterns that are normalized and accessible to anybody. Um, and that that is where our cannabis products fit in. Ultimately, in order for us to create a consumer product that consumers want, we, we really need to stretch beyond just putting a product on the shelf and really look to provide information and knowledge and cultural, uh, cultural intervention in a sense uh, for consumers to understand where that product fits into their lives and why they would want to be using it. Um, so that is a mission that I don't know that you see with uh, many, if any, other companies. I mean, if you take a look at Canadian licensed producers, they all operate in what is purportedly a medical system. So facially, what they continue to tell everybody is that they are medical companies. That isn't quite the same mission that we have. I mean, I fully support and uh, I think there is an immense plethora of uses that uh, for cannabis in the medical realm, but we are unabashedly not a medical company in the sense of actually trying to create medicine to prescribe to consumers. Uh, we are providing cannabis products uh, and that fits into an adult use or health and wellness or whatever you'd want to call it. But those products can be used for consumers for whatever purpose they are allowed to use them for and uh, as they choose to consume them. But we are certainly not a pharmaceutical company and we don't have that identity conflict that you might see with a number of other companies that have come out of a purely medical stance. So those three things that I, I kind of walked through, those would be probably the major things that I'd point somebody to, 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 to understand Canada royalty better and why it is different from pretty much anybody else that's out there. I, I will say this. I mean, the, the, it's all really good points, you know, focusing on California, you mentioned the population difference between California and Canada. But for me, it's really interesting that a Canadian company is focusing so much on a U.S. market being that everybody right now is looking towards Canada's federal legalization, uh, you know, with with sort of open eyes, just wondering, you know, how, how this is going to work because, you know, there's, there's Uruguay who has a very, very limited, uh, recreational, you know, adult use regime and, and Canada, I mean, it's the first country in the West to do this. So, so I, I'm, I'm a little surprised. It's a fair point to be surprised about. And it really Superficially, I think there's some interesting points. I mean, the reality is that uh, federal illegality in the U.S. is a persistent overhang on the industry. And that is probably why people have focused on Canada as being a leading opportunity. But it only takes a very quick walk around in Denver or in Los Angeles or San Francisco or in Portland or Seattle to really realize why that thinking and perception is just very fundamentally misguided. Um, if I want to go out to buy cannabis in Canada, uh, be it medical or recreational or whatever I want to call it, there is no store that I can walk into. 
there are no products that are available on the shelves other than a very limited number of products. So in Canada, the only things that are legally allowed for sale right now are flour and very low percentage oil. Uh, you compare that to any other American jurisdiction that has a mature cannabis market, it is a world of difference. You have retailers, distributors, extractors, cultivators, you have service providers, and they're all working to produce what are ultimately a plethora of different products that consumers are, are, are consuming. Canada does not yet even have final regulations on the types of products that are going to be allowed for consumption beyond the very limited stuff, uh, the uh, two products that I pointed out. And to assume that Canada is going to have a leadership role in shaping the development of the cannabis industry is, is, is a bet, again, that if I was taking my money, I wouldn't necessarily be putting it there. And again, all it takes is a little bit of a walk around into the actual functioning industry to realize that the industries that you see in many U.S. states are light years ahead of where Canada is right now from a pure business sense. What Canada has as the advantage is federal government buy-in and actually a legislative approach that is opening it up. But I'd also point out that Canada's been been learning. I mean, they started off, for example, with the, even with medical producers having quite draconian restrictions on the security uh, that you need to put into place. I mean, I've heard people joke, for example, that in some senses, the security that uh, Health Canada imposed on uh, some licensed producers was higher than maximum security prisons. Um, but over time, what you've seen is that Health Canada has learned through its own experience and hopefully through some looking down south of the border as well, that you don't need to regulate a cultivator of cannabis like a maximum security prison. Um, so they've eased up on security requirements uh, as well as vaults and other things like that, which ultimately uh, means that they are transitioning and maturing. But I think it's another point to actually signal that Canada, while it's certainly paving the way for federal legalization and the regulatory side of things, in the business sense, in the functional sense, it's quite far behind most uh, U.S. states that have been involved in this industry. So I, I want to dig a little bit more into uh, Canadian federal legalization proposals. Uh, before we do that, we got to take a break. This is Gontrepreneur.com podcast. I'm T.G. Brandfall. At Gontrepreneur, we have heard from dozens of cannabis business owners who have encountered the issue of cannabis, which is when a mainstream business, whether a landlord, bank, or some other provider of vital business services, refuses to do business with them simply because of their association with cannabis. We have even heard stories of businesses being unable to provide health and life insurance for their employees because the insurance providers were too afraid to work with them. We believe that this fear is totally unreasonable and that cannabis business owners deserve access to the same services and resources that other businesses are afforded, that they should be able to hire consultation to help them follow the letter of the law in their business endeavors, and that they should be able to provide employee benefits without needing to compromise on the quality of coverage they can offer. This is why we created the Gondrepreneur.com Business Service Directory, a resource for cannabis professionals to find and connect with service providers who are cannabis friendly and who are actively seeking cannabis industry clients. If you are considering hiring a business consultant, lawyer, accountant, web designer, or any other ancillary service for your business, go to Gondrepreneur.com businesses to browse hundreds of agencies, firms, and organizations who support cannabis legalization and who want to help you grow your business. With so many options to choose from in each service category, 
You will be able to browse company profiles and do research on multiple companies in advance so you can find the provider who is the best fit for your particular need. Our business service directory is intended to be a useful and well-maintained resource, which is why we individually vet each listing that is submitted. If you are a business service provider who wants to work with cannabis clients, you may be a good fit for our service directory. Go to gondrepreneur.com businesses to create your profile and start connecting with cannabis entrepreneurs today. Hey, welcome back to the gondrepreneur.com podcast. I'm your host, TG Brandfault, here with Afzal Hassan, Executive Vice President of Corporate Development for Cannon Royalty. So before the break, uh, we were, ta- you know, we were talking a little bit about you know, the differences in, with Canadian legalization versus U.S. legalization, the market, the maturity of these markets. Um, what are you guys, what is Canon Royalty looking for in the final version of federal legalization? Uh, what we'd ideally look for is an open and accepting market. I mean, the reality is, and I use this example for a lot of people, if I take a look at a lot of different pharmaceuticals, I could probably within the one kilometer or mile radius from where I'm sitting in my office right now, uh, access a dozen pharmacies that have very scary pharmaceuticals locked up with security, I'm sure, but uh, they're, they're there. They're within a stone's throw of where I am right now. Ultimately, I would hope that, uh, and I'd say the same thing again for alcohol too. Canada actually has a, a more restrictive regime than most U.S. states uh, for the distribution of alcohol because it goes through, at least the province of Ontario, through state-regulated uh, entities primarily. Uh, but even in the case of alcohol, there would be a number of different outlets that I could purchase alcohol from, and they are not uh, necessarily locked up like uh, like a very high security uh, type of setup. I mean, they're they're retailers and they have high value products that are regulated, and so they're very careful about that. But other than that, it looks just like another store. Um, and ultimately, that is what I would hope Canada would be able to transition towards: is having a system that allows for the normalized sale and production and consumption of cannabis, just like you would see for any other type of substance that is a comparable. And the closest comparables for, for most people are alcohol, tobacco, and then also pharmaceuticals to an extent. So what that means in terms of a federal legalization bill, um, I mean, really, I, I, I can't imagine that we're going to see that on from the outset. Um, this is something that Canada is rightly so, uh, is, is quite conservative and cautious about. You don't want to take these first steps ahead and actually make a blunder. And so what you're probably going to see is a relatively conservative legislative framework that Health Canada works to, to open up over time. As I mentioned, with even the licensing process, for example, I think Health Canada has displayed some great initiative and uh, has learned from a lot of its experiences. And I'm fully confident that with time, Health Canada and Canadian regulations uh, generally will get there. Uh, but I wouldn't expect that on day one, we're going to have a full and thriving market like you see with any other consumer products. Um, I would just also throw out there, I mean, just going to some of the previous comments that I make, there are many places in the U.S. that that do have that type of market. I mean, California is very early in that stage because it just opened up recreational consumption. But if you head down to Colorado, I mean, it's a, it's a great example of, of uh, a place where you've had recreational uh, legalization in place for quite some time. You see retail outlets scattered around the state and consumption and uh, the place that 
cannabis holds in society has has really evolved in a lot of ways. Um, and some of the stories that you hear from people are are just phenomenal. I mean, just hearing what the tax revenue has been able to do for the state of Colorado as well is just uh, from a societal perspective, quite an impressive, impressive accomplishment. So uh, that is hopefully where the future leads, uh, but probably not on day one. So it, it, it's safe to say that, you know, the, uh, some of the states, their provinces that have announced the regulations, you know, it's going to go through their various liquor boards. I think only one or two are actually going to allow private retail sales. It, it's, is it safe to say that, that you guys would prefer this, this private sales model? I, I, it's not even a question of preferring, and this comes down to simple economics. Uh, when you have an industry that is regulated by uh, limited licenses, etc. What you're asking and doing is is really altering the function of capitalism generally. Um, and if you do believe that capitalism at its core is one of the best ways to dr- drive the efficient production and consumption of products and everything else in our society, then just inherently having a regulated system can cause a lot of issues or a t- tightly regulated system without any private uh, ability for intervention. And I think Canada and many of the provinces in Canada have displayed um, a pretty sensible pattern of very carefully allowing for privatization uh, on their own terms because you obviously have to counterbalance that with society's general interests and not having consumption that's illegal or underage or any of the other types of issues that could crop up. But ultimately, I'm not even sure that uh, in some of the regulators would dispute that. I mean, in Ontario, for example, which is... Uh, where we're based out of, uh, you have uh, Doug Ford uh, that has made some comments about uh, trying to move forward with a more private and open uh, regime. And I think that there's a lot of people that would be proponents of that. Um, and hopefully that's what we are going to see into the future as well. So so since, you know, uh, it was announced that the federal, the Canadian federal government was going to move forward with legalization. Uh, the first reports were, you know, Canada Day, which is July first, and then that moved to, you know, sometime this summer, perhaps August. Uh, I've read a couple of reports where they suggest that because of the they, the lawmakers wanting uh, safe driving provisions or, or DW driving while stoned provisions before they allow legalization uh, that it could take till at least December. You know, you, you, you're on the ground there. You're obviously very, very plugged into what's going on. When are you guys sort of anticipating sales are going to begin? Are we looking at July 1st? Are we looking into later summer or are we looking into almost 2019? It's a good question. I mean, we we are also trying to read the tea leaves as everybody else. I think what you've outlined is probably as accurate a view as any in terms of uh, what is going on. Um, I think the government has come out and indicated that July 1st, I think the technical position is that it was never put out as a hard date for the start of legalization or recreational legalization. But uh, the most recent accounts that we've been hearing is towards the end of the summer. Uh, 2019, I mean, in theory, that is a possibility, but I, I do believe given the, the effort that the Canadian government has put in, the various provinces are putting in as well, that we will hopefully see legalization open up for recreational use uh, well in advance of 2019. I mean, they have been doing a lot of work and maybe you don't have as full a system as we would have liked um, on that date that the, the doors open. But uh, we sh- we we're hoping as well, and all accounts are from uh, the, the public sources that uh, 
we see as well as uh, any information that we get uh, other than that, that it is going to be this year. Um, but um, as you're pointing out, I mean, that is a, a shifting goal and timeline. And uh, we're watching and following along just like the rest of the market as well. I'm sure that's that's just got to be frustrating, you know, and it's, it's like right there. You can almost taste it, but but no one will give you a, a firm answer. Um, I, I you know, we've talked a lot about California. You guys also have uh, reach in the state of Washington and Florida. Um, that's that's three very different markets, especially when you when you consider Florida. And I mean, they you know they just sort of revamped their program, but there's still some issues with it, as far as people are telling me on the ground. Um, what do you look for in a U.S. state program that makes it appealing to enter? Uh, full and open access. And I, I think uh, Washington is an interesting one because our investment into that state, to be clear, was into a real estate company. And that real estate company uh, leases outfitted uh, real estate to cannabis operators. But uh, because of the fact that the, the Washington regulations are quite strict about out-of-state involvement, uh, we uh, our exposure to that state was uh, purely indirect to ensure that we were very much so on side of the laws and regulations of the state of Washington. Uh, and you see a similar feature in, in some other states. So Colorado, for example, also has some restrictions on out-of-state ownership as well. And uh, it's something that I personally, I mean, as uh, also the general counsel of the company, take quite seriously. I have zero interest in trying to structure creative uh, investment structures to circumvent and avoid the application of state law and I won't name names, but there are a plethora of uh, other companies that are trying to structure those deals. Um, our own view is that there are a multitude of opportunities for us to access across the U.S. and again, particularly in California, in jurisdictions that have been welcoming to us. California has some specific rules that allow for public companies to invest into uh, the state, no licenses and everything else. And that is the type of state that uh, we want to be invested in, somebody that is coming in and opening their arms to a public company like ourselves uh, getting involved over there. And that that's something that we've seen uh, reiterated and supported by local state regulators as well. So we've had extensive contact with a variety of different local regulators in the state of California. And um, without question, what you'll see is a very open and welcoming uh, environment. Uh, that isn't the case necessarily in, in most uh, U.S. states. And that is one of the biggest drivers for us uh, is, is really the fact that they, they want us in there because we, we have no interest in trying to force our way in uh, to a state because that is really just a disaster waiting to happen. Uh, the other side of it too is just uh, as open and uh, rational a market as possible. So California, again, is a really good example of a market where you have a wide variety of product categories that are permitted. Uh, you frankly can I, I manufacture almost anything uh, provided that it fits within the safety and other requirements relating to child protection and everything else, which for us as a products company is great. We need to be able to experiment and be agile and everything else. And so that is not necessarily the case with uh, a lot of other U.S. states that have restrictions on the types of products that you can put out there, um, as well as uh, how they're sold and what types of markets well, we, I, I could sit here and, and pick your brain for probably the next hour and, and still not get in everything that I wanted to talk about. Um, 
but I, I got to ask you, what's what's your advice for people interested in investing in cannabis stocks? You know, here in the U.S., we don't have you know publicly we have one publicly traded company um two if you count the etf and you know canada's a much broader market um allowing for public trading so so what's your advice for those interested in investing in in this in the space with stocks uh I, my main thing to, to an investor would be take a really deep look at the company that you're proposing to invest into and try and figure out where they might sit in the value chain of the cannabis industry in five or 10 years from now. Um, I, I point out the, the cultivation side of things, for example. I mean, the, the typical assumption uh, from our perspective when we look at the valuations of most uh, uh, cultivators in Canada is that the market and investors are basically priced in the fact that each one of them effectively is going to be a dominant force in all areas of the, the cannabis industry. And I'd posit that there are going to be actually very few of them that are going to be around at the, in the same way in five or 10 years from now. Um, if all that you've got in uh, your business is a cultivation facility and nothing else unique about your company, chances are that that isn't going to be enough to cut it as a public company in five or 10 years from now and to really be a, a major force in the cannabis industry. What you want to be taking a look at um, as, a, as, a, as an investor is really the companies that are investing into the future of the cannabis industry and the future industry. So even though cultivation, for example, is the major play in Canada that people can, can, can actually invest into right now, you will see that some of the uh, the more prominent companies are making uh, inroads into trying to acquire products as well as, uh, for example, retail space and everything else. Um, and even with those moves as well, I'd encourage people to be very, very careful and astute about what exactly somebody is doing in the space because there are a lot of announcements and developments that we've seen out there that have left us scratching our heads, even though superficially somebody might say that they're getting into retail, for example, I wonder how much uh, some of these opportunities and investments that people put money into will actually yield results that make any sense in the long term. So I, my advice to an investor is I, you should actually have a good sense in understanding the cannabis industry if you really want to play in here. I mean, people have been making a ton of money throwing darts against the wall. And frankly, if you put money into the market with anybody last year, you probably would have made multiples of your investment over here. Um, and that maybe will continue on for a little while, but ultimately the capital markets and, uh, the, the true winners will prevail. And the only way that you're going to be able to pick those winners is if you understand the cannabis industry yourself. So, I mean, you're vice president of corporate development, your general counsel, you're obviously extraordinarily passionate about being in this space. You know, you, you left again, very high level positions to, to enter the, the cannabis industry, which takes a lot of guts. Uh, you're an entrepreneur, man. What's your advice for other entrepreneurs seeking to enter the cannabis industry? I, I think the best thing I could say, and it's just uh, really generic advice for people as well, but I think all the more relevant in this industry is really to pick a part, uh, pick a part of this industry and focus on it. Um, as a public entity, we've picked an area of the industry being consumer products and brands that we focus on. And it is a huge thing that we've bitten off, but we also have the resources and access to capital and access to actually 
acquisitions that make that a real possibility for us. Um, if it was just me by myself, my ambitions would no way it would be uh, that grand and ambitious. Um, I would rather, as a personal entrepreneur, a smaller entrepreneur, pick a very specific part of the, the market, focus on that and do something well. Um, and that could be anything from, I, I mean, maybe I cultivate really good cannabis and that's what I want to do. Maybe I feel like I've got uh, the best extraction technology or the best focus on extraction and that's what I do. Uh, and so on and so forth. But I think the biggest danger that we have seen in the market being an investor is just in entrepreneurs that try and attack the world because they feel and see that uh, there's so many opportunities over here and they should be attacking all of them. And uh, suffice to say, I mean, that strategy could work out if you were a global behemoth and had the resources and the foresight and the vision to be able to accomplish all that. But uh, especially as a as an early entrepreneur, I would very much so caution against uh, trying to run a virtually uh, a vertically integrated company that is doing everything in, under the sun in the cannabis world, and instead focus on something which could be very simple. And I mean, to the point of even I make containers for cannabis products. It doesn't sound glamorous. It doesn't sound amazing, but somebody needs to do it, and somebody will do it well, and they will corner that part of the market. And better you do that and actually have a chance of succeeding on something than try and bite off the world and find that you've uh, made a pretty poor run at it. Well, man, this has been really one of the most insightful conversations that I've had on the year that I've been doing the show. So I really want to thank you for taking the time out. I want to congratulate you for your your recent successes, you know, uh, acquiring Alta Supply, River Distribution. Um, where can people learn more about Canna Royalty? Uh, best places to hop onto our website. We've got a fair amount of information about uh, our, the company, our holdings, and everything else. You'll also be able to access our investor presentation, which is a, a good visual overview. And uh, we'll also have links on there to access our more detailed public filings as well. Uh, so that's the best place to, uh, to access information uh, about Canna Royalty. And just on uh, Canna Royalty, Path and vision. I mean, thank you uh, again for, for having me on here. And it was a great experience for me to, to try and share a little bit of this because uh, just reading our disclosures might be more dry and uh, less explanatory than uh, most investors need. But and the only thing that I tell uh, people that want to know more about our company is just keep watching us. And we're only really getting started over here and there's plenty more fun to come. Well, again, I really want to thank you for taking the time to come on the show and we'll definitely be keeping an eye out. You know, you guys are making a lot of moves. I mean, they're coming weekly. So, you know, it's, it'll be it'll be an interesting uh, it's, it's an interesting time to be a cannabis journalist when, you know, there's there's companies making just such fast, quick moves in in, in this space. Well, we, we share the same view as well. And uh, I mean, it's something that we're very, very excited about. Thanks again for having me on. You can find more episodes of the Gontrepreneur.com podcast in the podcast section of Gontrepreneur.com and in the Apple iTunes store. On the Gontrepreneur.com website, you will find the latest cannabis news and cannabis jobs updated daily, along with transcripts of this podcast. You can also download the Gontrepreneur.com app in iTunes and Google Play. This episode was engineered by Trim Media House. I've been your host, TG Brandfault. 